Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. Uh, so if you all have not had the pleasure of hearing Dr. Mona speak before, a little bit about her background. In 91, she graduated from Queen, I always mess this up, Queen Elizabeth uh, Dental School, University of Birmingham. That is the English version of the Alabama Birmingham, just so we're on the same page, and uh, over in the UK. And in 95, graduated University of Pennsylvania Dental School. Guys, she's been doing general dentistry for 30 years, TMD for 10, sleep for five. She's awesome for a reason. She's here to talk to you about TMD and sleep. Is anybody here, let me ask in the chat real quick, is any, before I hand this off, is anybody concerned about treating sleep patients when they have TMD? Or how do you know who you need to treat and not? Give me a yes or a no in the chat if you would. Okay, we're seeing some of the yeses. Good, then we're on the right, we're on the right page here, guys. All right, so tonight, Dr. Patel is going to talk about Dr. Patel. This sounds so formal, Mona. I'm sorry. It's all right. You're amazing, but we're friends. So I'm just going to hand it off to you. Have fun. This is the AGD Pace CE event. So you guys know what it is. You got to stay tuned the whole time. You can see us. We can't see you, but we're going to ask you to put stuff in the chat. If you have questions, please put them in the Q&A section. We will be here tonight until we answer every one of your questions. Dr. Ramona's got a lot of great stuff to talk to you about. Stick through it uh, until the end with us. We have a, I don't know, 12.7 second survey that you have to fill out to get your CE. It will be in the chat, as well as some cool links to articles and the email that comes out later tonight. So without further ado, people didn't come to this to hear me. I'm going to hand it off back to you. Awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm just, you know, happy to share all the information that I've computed into my brain. And um, I know exactly when I first started out in dental sleep medicine, I was just always so worried I was going to somehow harm the patient or, you know, mess up the joints or make them feel uncomfortable that it stopped me from helping a lot of people because of my own fear. And then, you know, the more I started to do this, I realized that, you know, a successful outcome really just hinges on proper diagnosis. And we do that every day in dentistry. It's really no different to what we do when we are seeing our patients as dental patients. If you stick to that anchor, what is the diagnosis? You won't go wrong with with sleep and TMD. And predictability really just comes from minimizing those side effects and really setting up realistic expectations for the patients of, you know, what is their part in this, Um, you know, and we've all heard this phrase, if you inform your patient ahead of time, it's knowledge, it's um, education, but if you inform your patient after the fact, it's just an excuse and you lose your credibility. So the more information that you can get ahead of time, the more of a diagnosis that you can make and the more expectation that you can set for your patient, you'll look like a genius and you'll sleep at night. So historically, sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea and TMD, they were typically diagnosed separately. And as dentists, we tell our patients, you know, you clench, you grind, you brux, you clench, you grind, you brux. And I'm sure many of you have done this over your careers. I mean, I 
I've done this many, many times before I discovered, you know, the relationship between sleep and boxing. But here's the thing. I've, you make splints, right? For your patients, seven out of 10 work, but there are others, they don't. And they come back and the patient's like, yeah, it doesn't work. Here you have, you can have it back. And you just, you know, if you're anything like me, you are like, oh, my patient's so difficult. Oh, they're crazy. And I know that I was wrong there because there was something else. And the continued research and the knowledge just show us that there are questions that need to be answered. Is there a relationship between OSA and TMD? And to, if so, to what extent are they related? So I want to talk to you a little bit about some studies. This is the OPERA cohort study, and it was a large-scale multi-center study that followed adults from the ages of 18 to 44 from the start of the study. And it, this lasted for about just under three years. And the goal for that study was to really identify the incidence of first-onset TMD and the potential risk factors for development of TMD. And let me share what they found. They found that obstructive sleep apnea signs and symptoms were actually associated with the first onset TMD symptoms. And this was in adults free of any TMD issues at baseline. And both men and women with two or more signs or symptoms of OSA had a 73% had greater incidence, independent of age, gender, race, obesity, smoking, all of those things, they had a 73% greater chance of having a TMD issue. And in the, the case control study, chronic TMD was three times more frequent among adults with varying levels of OSA. And there's a couple of other studies by Kim and Park in Korea. That was eight years long. And again, it showed the statistics that primary sleep breathing disorder patients had a 44% higher risk for TMD versus non-sleep disorder patients. And that the incidence rate of TMD was nearly twice as high in these participant, participants with sleep disorders versus non-sleep disorders. Wow, Benetti and Scarano did a study and their study linked the prevalence of TMD symptoms and signs and showed that they're significantly higher in untreated OSA patients compared to healthy controls. So the other interesting thing that the OPERA cohort study brought up was that between sleep disorders, not just TMD connection, but fibromyalgia, IBS, and headaches. So now we know that there's a link between OSA and TMD. What we do know that is that OSA patients have an increased activity in the upper airway as the body tries to maintain that open airway, you know, before it starts to collapse during sleep. And you know that all the signals happen in the brain. Um, adrenaline, cortisol get produced to help that collapse from happening. And when that happens, we get the RMMAs, the masseter gets activated and you get that little clench forward. 
And that helps to bring the tongue forward, the genoglossal muscles forward, and the genoglossal muscle actually stabilizes the airway and stops that collapse from happening. Well, that masseteric activation and that clench forward results in bruxism, right? And those repetitive forces exert, constantly, constantly exert pressure on the TMJ and its articular disc and the surrounding muscles and the tissues. And we can get painful TMD. We can get non-painful symptoms too, but remember clenching and grinding activity is about 80 to 100 times more force than chewing. And strain on these muscles from those repetitive, it's a repetitive injury, right? Um, and what you're gonna see is jaw joint no noises, clicking, popping, cracking, crackling, episodes of jaw locking, headaches, jaw pain, neck pain. And remember, our bodies will do whatever it takes to breathe, even if that clenching or bruxing activity is gonna damage our teeth, create pain and muscles all over our head and neck, or even our joint. Breathing comes first to us. So with all of that connection and knowledge, what can we do? We do know we've got to screen for both when we're presented with a sleep or a TMD patient. So if you suspect a patient is having a sleep issue or you get referred to sleep patient, you've got to look at the TMJ and do an evaluation there. And if you have a patient who comes to you with pain and it's in their TMD, they have muscle pain, joint pain, headaches, and now even IBS and fibromyalgia, maybe you wanna do a screening for sleep as well. And yes. Sorry, I don't wanna interrupt you for the next slide, but before we get through some of the workflow stuff, um, Robert and Mark both asked for the copy of the studies. I just wanna hit oh, this real quick. Absolutely. Um, we're gonna have a link that goes out to everyone in the email. The CE survey link will be in there. There's another link. Don't miss that. It goes to our website and every single one of the studies that Dr. Mona goes through tonight will be on there. So that way you guys can grab that there. Um, and then Mona, if you, if you could, um, your patient verbiage is so smooth in talking to people. What you just went through was so heavy clinical. Can you translate that of how you talk to a fibromyalgia patient, how you would talk to somebody that they, in their mind as a patient, it does not connect to their jaw joint and apnea. How would you talk to them about that? Just a, even if it's a snippet. Sure. So um, if I have a patient who is coming in or is in my chair and they have, um, say they present with primary TMD and they've got noises and popping and, you know, there's a clinical picture of bruxism, you know, I'm going to, kind of look in their mouth. And what I like to do guys is bring the patient along with me on the story. Uh, because if I just tell them that there's a connection, they're not gonna really hear me. So I like to connect one thing in their medical history, one thing in their mouth that might give you an indication of an, uh, a sleep issue and to one thing how they're feeling. 
right? So when I will look in the mouth and I'll be like, wow, um, Mike, it's great to see you. You're in my hygiene chair. It's been a while. Um, you know, looks like you're still on your hypotensive medications. Um, and I see that you have, uh, you know, how's the fib fibromyalgia doing? How are you feeling? You still aching or are the meds working for you? And then I'll do my examination. I'm like, Michael, you know, I, I just realized I noticed this. Um, there's a lot of wear on your teeth. And, you know, I'm noticing it now because I've learned all these amazing things about whole health and connection. You know, and this, this is going to sound a little, little odd, but do you notice if you're clenching during the day or at nighttime? And usually my patients will know. And if he says, if Michael says, I don't kind of think I do it at nighttime because when I wake up, I feel uncomfortable. It gives me a way to connect everything together um, where I'll be like, hey, so if, if you're feeling like your muscles are tight in the morning, can you tell me, do you feel actually like you're getting a good night's sleep or is that kind of affecting your sleep? And again, you'll be surprised the more and more you do, the um, patients open up quite readily when they wanna talk about things like that. And, um, you know, if Michael says, yeah, I don't feel like I wake up super well, refreshed, I, I, I kind of feel like I need a couple of cups of coffee during the, you know, the morning to get me going. I'm like, you know, that's so interesting because there's actually a huge connection with people who clench and grind, who may have some discomfort in their jaw joints with, um, sleep, if your sleep is disturbed and you're clenching and grinding and you might have something called sleep bruxism, it can affect your health. And one of the ways it can do that is it can be associated with fibromyalgia. It can be associated with hypertension, um, which I, I see that you have and you're on meds for it. Has you, have you ever been tested for um, you know, having a sleep issue? And then we'll talk about what their doctor says, et cetera. So hopefully that helped. Is that what you were looking for, Michael? Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that was yes. solid. Thank you very okay. much. Perfect. So, you know, how does this affect your day-to-day -day, uh, workflow, right? What would it look like? So remember one thing, when you start doing dental sleep medicine in your practice, no matter where your patient comes from, right? And what does that mean? It could come from a sleep MD. It could come from an outside referral from a patient or other dentists, or it could be in office where you've, you've been screening and testing your patients and getting the data read by a sleep MD, right? But once you have these patients in your office and someone has, has prescribed a MAD, you know, a mandibular advancement device, you've got to get your protocol down. First, remember that you have to confirm that they're good candidates for a MAD, you know, teeth-wise, perio-wise, retention-wise. But also then please add evaluating the TMD because if you do that and you get a diagnosis of how that joint and muscles, um, you know, that whole apparatus for the patient is working, you now can confidently go to the next step. If you diagnose that there's no TMD from that TMJ evaluation, okay, fantastic. You can now proceed with your sleep protocol, make them a MAD, do your you know, efficacy tests and all of that. But then when you bring your patients back to reevaluate for the improvement of the OSA, make sure that you also document the TMD health, make sure that they're doing well. 
And I also firmly believe in really great follow-ups. So one of my pet peeves, and this is a little bit of a tangent, one of my pet peeves when I started to treat sleep was that um, patients were given a CPAP for years, 10 years, and nobody ever followed up on them. Or um, a dentist gave them a sleep appliance for seven years, but the patient didn't go back or didn't get followed up on. And so I firmly believe in a strict protocol and I teach about that, but I really like an annual checkup with all of my sleep patients. Number one, not only to see how they're doing with sleep, but to also evaluate the TMD. And if there are concerns about it, retake imaging that I may have originally done to follow the health um, radiographically, okay? Now, fantastic if they don't have any TMD, right? You can go right to your sleep um, program and fantastic. But if they, there is TMD issues, get a diagnosis, follow your appropriate therapy. Decide if this is a patient who needs a daytime appliance, their nighttime appliance will most likely be a MAD. And then let's do your follow-ups depending on your treatment protocol. So my TMD sleep patients are gonna come back way more often during that initial delivery, after the initial delivery of, of the appliance. I wanna make sure that they're doing well, that there's no discomfort because I want them to wear that appliance to protect them at nighttime. I don't want them to stop wearing it because their muscles or jaw joints are uncomfortable. But knowing that there's a TMD patient that is requiring a sleep appliance, it also helps to know what type of appliance I might choose. Do I need to do one that has smaller, more finer adjustments? Now, what if you have a patient that comes to you totally just for primary TMD and it, sleep is not a perceived issue. So what do you start with? We always start with a history and then we look at our examination. And during that history and health um, history uh, correlation, look for those signs and uh, symptoms or medications that are involved with sleep. And with your examination, include a sleep screening. Look at the back of the mouth, look at the throat, look at the tongue, look at the wear on the teeth. And if you suspect a sleep disorder, your diagnostics must include testing for sleep, okay? Just make sure that you're telling the patient why. And I like to use the verbiage of, I wanna eliminate sleep bruxism. You're, you could be stressing your joints and muscles at nighttime and that clenching or wear on your teeth is creating a lot of stress on your joints and muscles and now you're in pain. And I wanna make sure that you're not doing that because of a sleep issue, which is called sleep bruxism. I, I keep it very simple for patients and I'm like, I need you to take this test to eliminate that because I'm gonna to need to prescribe you a treatment plan, I'm going to need to prescribe you appliances and orthotics, and I need this information to make sure that I prescribe the right appliance for you. And, you know, using that verbiage, I've really not had um, any patient not want to do the sleep test. And for those of you who really are getting into dental sleep medicine, having a home sleep test in your office to be able to eliminate sleep bruxism so that you're able to prescribe the right appliance is it's gold. Okay. 
And um, once you do your diagnostics and you've got that sleep data and it's been read by a sleep physician, if you have a patient who's positive for OSA, but also has primary TMD, you're gonna follow that treatment plan for that diagnosed issue. You're gonna treat the pain and it could be with aqualizers, it could be with injections, it can be laser therapy. You're gonna to decide to do a daytime orthotic and a nighttime orthotic. You're gonna have a different protocol for follow-ups. You're probably gonna see that patient weekly to keep an eye on how they're doing. Your therapeutic bite is not going to be a George Gage bite that you do for dental sleep appliances. You want to put them in the most comfortable position and that's usually the phonetic bite. And if you have a primary TMD patient that has taken your uh, screening and they tested and it was negative for OSA, great. Now you just follow your TMD protocol. So there are side effects of MAD therapy that um, you know, also affect the TMD. And I, like I always say, the best way to deal with side effects is to minimize the possibility of having them. So there's a study by Perez and, he, and, they, and they took data from 167 patients and they were evaluated at baseline. And 159 patients came back after 118 days, that's visit two. Then 129 patients came back after 208 days, visit three, and so forth to visit four. And they evaluated the presence of TMD symptoms through a questionnaire. It was a consistent, they followed um, great criteria for that. And they also, in addition for TMD, they also did a clinical evaluation for the presence of posterior open bites. And the, the results of this study are very heartwarming and very confidence-giving. So the results are that the use of these mats can lead to the development of TMD in a small number of patients. However, these signs and symptoms are most likely transient. And patients with pre-existing signs and symptoms of TMD did not experience worsening of those signs and symptoms with the use of a MAD. And would it interest you to know that they actually can decrease over time? And that, that's what happened to me personally when I um, developed, um, I actually developed a horrible TMD issue on my left side. And I could not talk to patients without having to, I was literally treatment planning and talking to patients, massaging my joint here. And then I was diagnosed with um, mild sleep apnea. Kind of followed the studies, right? That we went over. Well, anyway, I treated myself, made myself a mad, um, you know, and that's really what kicked off my journey, by the way, guys. But I, I treated myself with, with a mad and within two or three weeks, I realized that I did not have any pain here. I felt so much better. I was comfortable, no muscle pain and my range of motion um, got better. So that's heartwarming, right? It gives you confidence. Posterior open bites were found to develop in only about 18% of these patients. And 28% of those 18% were aware of the bite changes. 
And I know that a lot of fear happens when we think about bite changes after oral appliance therapy. And there's ways to manage that. And again, that is to avoid that happening in the first place. And so a really great clinical protocol and holding the patient account accountable for that and what they have to do on their part is super important to minimize the posterior open bites. Dr. Um, Mon, I, quick yes. question on, on that real, uh, real fast. Um, so we've, we've covered this a little bit before. You've covered that topic briefly about mm -hmm. uh, posterior open bites and some of the open um, occlusion. Yes that obviously flies in the face of everything important as a GP. So yes. can, I know we're presenting the sleep side, but for the rest of our audience, I'm gonna kind of play devil's advocate. Okay. Instead of saying, what's more important, chewing or airway, how would you, you were a GP that also practiced sleep and treated TMD. So how would you handle that if it bothered the patient or didn't, just to kind of answer well, that part? Actually, you know, it doesn't, it really doesn't bother patients. They won't notice it until they go somewhere else and someone points it out. Or if they were a patient who came to you only for sleep, but had their own dentist, and then the dentist is doing restorative. So again, I always, I in my clinical protocol actually identify open contacts and holding contacts between all of the teeth. Because you know that not every single tooth meets unless you've been equilibrated, right? Mm -hmm. And you have patients. And, I, and so if there is a patient, I explain it this way. I say, listen, an appliance may, wearing it long-term may cause changes in your bite. You may find that some of your back teeth don't meet as they used to. We wanna minimize that. We definitely wanna avoid that. We wanna minimize that. And your part is wearing a morning aligner and doing these exercises. And if you notice something is different and your bite's changed, your job is to call me straight away. Because the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be for me to figure out how to correct it. Awesome. Okay. Cool. And then what I will also tell patients is, so, um, you know, I would rather sleep well at night and wake up feeling on top of the world than have my teeth meet because my teeth meeting or not meeting doesn't stop me from eating or chewing. In fact, when I eat food, there's food between my back teeth, so they don't actually touch anyway. How do you chew your food? And they get it. So hopefully that helps. <laughs> so I wanted to quick mention another study by Benetti. They, this was a meta-analysis of 12 studies that um, really evaluated the um, TMD prevalence on adult patients wearing an MAD. And what they found again, you know, yes, you can celebrate, you're not gonna hurt people, you're gonna be fine. You, great news, TMD issues are not a contraindication for treatment. However, diagnosis, follow-up, staying in contact with the patient to monitor is what you need to do, but, their second finding, what they also noted is that symptom-free patients may develop TMD. So people who never had issues or pain before, and you put them in a MAD, may develop TMD. Now they didn't say why, 
but I'm assuming it's the possibility of a misdiagnosis of a prior TMD condition. Maybe they set the bite beyond the capacity of joint muscle issues. Um, you know, and so I would say that that information is lacking. What I found in my experiences, if there was someone who had no issues before, and then they wore a sleep appliance and they started to develop discomfort, it's because I missed something on my examination. And I will always go back to that. Or I didn't miss something. I told my patient to start to doing exercises and stretching and my functional therapy, and they didn't do their exercises. And so they were putting in this appliance in already a system that was still contracted and you know compensating for the bruxism. So what we can do right? Um, and what they would recommend is to really do a comprehensive clinical examination. Note the mandibular mo movements. You're looking for deviations, deflections to give you signs of joint conditions. Noting TMJ noises during movements. Doing a muscle and TMJ palpation and getting all the baselines for the health before that appliance therapy for sleep, and then also documenting your diagnosis. So let's go to the comprehensive clinical exam. And this is kind of a brief overview of how I do mine. Um, I do have a really detailed way of going through a records appointment that actually identifies a lot of red flags, but this unfortunately is only an, an, an like a 45 minute to an hour webinar. But if you want more information on that, I'm sure Michael and um, Chad can give that to you after the webinar is finished. So the history is super, super important. Um, for those of you on the sleep journey, you've heard of Jamison Spencer, you've heard of Mayor Patel, they're amazing um, guys who've trailblazed sleep and TMD. And the, this, my favorite saying that they have is, the mystery is in the history. You talk to the patient about everything, you'll uncover so many things. You got to ask about clenching, grinding, daytime, nighttime. You know, I like to ask about major traumas, you know, car accidents, whiplash, direct hits to the jaw, um, you know, with even at, when they were children. Um, are they wearing a CPAP? Are they wearing it with an appliance or without an appliance? Um, what's our ortho history? And I st also bring in a sleep apnea connection if they don't think there's a sleep issue going on, okay? Remember, there are four reasons that we're bruxing. Um, sleep, you know, sleep disordered breathing, stress, side effects of SSRI medications, and the joint stability and muscle stability. So what would, you, what would you do on your examination? You're gonna palpate the joint, right? You're looking for retrodiscal inflammation. And discomfort is usually an inflamed disc. And what would you wanna do with an inflamed disc, right? You wanna relieve the pressure off the disc. You wanna kind of take the, the joint a little forward and a little down maybe, right? To help that disc inflammation resolve. Well, guess what a MAP does? It does the same thing, right? you're taking the joint off the disc. So again, you know, as much as we think, oh, we have a patient with TMD and maybe we shouldn't do a sleep appliance. In actuality, you're helping them as long as you do it within the parameters 
of what their muscles and joints can handle, right? And that's where you decide on what type of bite you want to take, right? If you go right into a George gauge or vertical um, and protrusive at the same time, which are great on healthy TMD patients, maybe that's not going to be a comfortable position for someone who's TMD sleep and symptomatic. Maybe you want to do something like a phonetic bite, okay? I also like to do um, joint noises. I have listened to joints with a stethoscope. Um, I also have, I, I love using a Doppler. I get one from Amazon. Um, I think it has to be over 200 Hertz and you just get like a whole big bottle of that gel and you put it on the patients and you listen for that, those noises. Um, there's also from BioResearch a great uh, um, tool called the JVA that can give you really specific readings on the joint and the disc. And um, so, and I make a note of those noises because you have to also remember the absence of a joint noise does not mean the patient's healthy, not necessarily. And that's where the history comes in. Please, if you remember anything from this webinar, write it down, guys, please. Remember always to ask your patient if they've had a previous history of joint noises. And if they, even if they remember as a teenager and they're 50 years old, or did it happen after ortho, make a no note that they had joint noises at some time and they disappeared. And we'll get into that later, but it's super important that you do that. And once I've you know, done a, a basic TMD exam, I'll do my basic um, muscle palpation. Now, if I'm noting that this is a TMD patient, I'm gonna do a much more in-depth muscle examination and I'll actually charge for it as well. Like I will charge out a TMJ comprehensive examination for a patient. And when I do a muscle palpation, I like to keep it simple and I like grading zero is nothing. Number one feels good, as in that massage, it feels like a massage and it's releasing tension. Number two, not great. And three, don't touch me. And the pressure on the muscles are like, you know, when the amount of force that you put in when you're blanching your fingernails. And why do I do this? Because here's the thing, if they have sore muscles, I want them to start working on exercises before they even come back for the delivery. When they leave after I've taken my records, they're going to start doing these exercises because that's going to help them accept the appliance a lot better in four weeks. It also helps me determine if I want to add a discluding element to my sleep appliance. And if you have someone who has um, discomfort and you note it, and then you're doing a follow-up on the muscle and TMD after the appliance is placed, you can then see how they've improved and, um, you know, again, validate your therapy to the patient. Okay. I also do range of motion. So I use a great um, little ruler. It's called the Therabyte ruler from Great Lakes. Um, a normal opening can range anywhere from 32 to 70. And obviously men open wider than women. And I think the taller you are, apparently you, the wider you open. Right. And um, that uh, range of motion of maximum opening can decrease with age. But one of the reasons I find that's important is if they came in with a really small ROM, but not uncomfortable, I want to look more into is there something going on with the joint 
something happen with the disc. And also it influences what type of appliance, what type of mat I'm going to use, because if they've got a limited range of motion, I want to be able to give them something that's easy for them to put in. I also like to look at the lateral range of motions because again, if you have someone who goes to the left 10 millimeters and someone who goes to the right nine millimeters, that's fine. But if the number's like nine on one side and five on the other, that's a red flag again, you know? And these patients may not have pain, but when you see such a difference in the lateral range of motion, that's when you stop and you ask them if they ever had an issue opening, they ever locked, if it never came up in your initial history, this is the time that you can delve into it. And you know what? That's when the patient might go, oh, you know what? Years ago, I remember there was a time when I couldn't open when I had this, I yawned really wide and suddenly I felt like I was locked in. And it hurt for a little bit, but then it went away and I thought it was fine. So this is where the history is super important. Remember to check for your deviations and deflections. You know, they move towards the compromised joint and look at your midlines in MIP when they're biting down. I always say, take a look at the midline when they're biting down, take a photo of it and then have them protrude. And if their midlines are off, make a note of it. Because when you take your bite record for a patient, if their midline is centered when they're in MIP and you take your bite, you wanna make sure that your bite mirrors that, that your bite's centered, that the patient hasn't gone off to one direction. Now, what if their midlines are centered when they're biting down, but then when they protrude, maybe their midlines go to the left a little bit. Again, take a photo of this. I like to note it down because when I'm making an appliance for them, I will mimic that in my bite capture. I'm not gonna try and swing that midline back to the center when it normally wants to go to the left on protrusion. Because if I do, I'm creating a torque on the muscles, on the joint, and I'm going to create discomfort. So I'm actually going to create a side effect with my mat. So super important. That's another thing I'd love for you guys to write down. So if you ever have patients who've come back, you've inserted a mat, and, you, and they're uncomfortable and you can't figure out why, take a look at the midlines and make sure that, that you know the, the, the midline in MIP without the appliance mirrors the midline in the appliance. Hey, Dr. Mona. Uh, yes. So we got a couple of questions um, that I'll merge together. So okay. one is how often is what we're calling TMD actually a muscular issue instead of a joint issue? You were kind Edge, of alluded yeah. to that. Yeah, and pretty, pretty often. And again, a lot of that is this comprehensive examination that will allow you to identify if it's purely muscle, or if there's some TMD stuff going on, um, you know, again, I'm not here to teach a TMD course, but I'm helping to identify the things that you could do to be able to move forward confidently. Yeah. Got it. And then the, the kind of part two to that, if you're titrating the MAD forward, yes. if it's too far forward or too fast, how do you resolve the perceived TMD pain or maybe a muscular issues that arise yeah. from that. So I always, if, if, a, if I've protruded an appliance and titrated it forward, 
Um, the first thing I do is if a patient comes back with discomfort, I'm going to look at my midlines. I just want to make sure that I didn't create that. Um, if there is discomfort and I had picked up on muscle or joint issues at my records appointment, we'll verify that the patient's actually doing their exercises to help with that. And eight out of time, 10 times they've been lazy and they're not doing their stretching and my functional exercises, their tongue. So that's, you know, an easy, as easy way to fix. Right. But if none of those are what's going on um, and it's, then it's most likely that I've protruded too quickly. Right. So hopefully at that time I've chosen the right appliance that allows finer movements. So I love Personness. That's one of my go-to appointment um, appliances. And the I love the switching in and out of trays. But if I know on my records appointment there's some muscle or, or joint issues, I may not want to do that um, type of appliance. Maybe I'll choose to do the Personness Herbst, which has fine-tune, like you can um, adjust that appliance a tenth of a millimeter with one rotation as opposed to the Evo, which is one millimeter, yeah. right? So this records appointment and this information gathering is gonna help set number one, you up for success because you're gonna choose the right appliance. But if by any chance you've chosen an Evo and it's, you know, you've put it in, you've taken a bite and you put it in and they come back and they're sore. One of the things that you can do is work with them with muscle exercises, myofunctional therapy, all of those things. But if they're still uncomfortable, then you can call prosomnus, and I've done this before, and they may trace negatively. So if I'm, you know, at L0 and uh, lower zero and upper zero, as prosomnus works, right? And I put it in and, the, and the, if my patient's uncomfortable, they will be able to go back and make a negative one and a negative two. And then we'll start the patients off in a retreated position, letting them know until their muscles or joint gets used to this position, we're not going to be able to walk them forward to their, what we feel is our ideal therapeutic place. Cool. Hopefully that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Any, any other questions, Michael? We're good? Yeah. Okay. So... Remember, points to consider, um, joint noises. I really alluded to that, and this is why. So when you have noises and then they disappear, patients perceive that as being healthy, right? And because the noises have gone. So if they've gone, I'm okay. But in reality, when you start to get noises, what does that mean? When you're opening and you get a, a noise and, and a click, it could mean that as that joint's moving out of its home, you're popping off the disc and that's the noise. And then when you go to close, you could get noise when you pop back on the disc. It's almost like you have a partial disc displacement, right? And then when the noises disappear, that usually may indicate that now you've got a complete disc displacement. And why is that important? Because when you start to wear an appliance like a mat, that's actually gonna help with everything. You may 
possibly recapture the disc a little bit. And guess what? When you do that and, it, and you recapture it, those clicking noises can come back. And you know what? The patient's going to come in and they're going to say, oh, this appliance is not working. The noises are back. And so if you know all this ahead of time and you let the patients know that their perception of no noises may actually be no disc between the base of the skull and the joint and that they're bone on bone and they're harming their jaw joint, that no noises with the information that you have might not be great. And if the noises come back, that's actually an okay thing. So now let's look at the possible side effects in the joint and muscles after we start the therapy, okay? So causes, you put in a mad and suddenly uh, there's discomfort. Um, it could be that there's posterior contact that's heavy on the painful side. Maybe you've advanced too quickly. And so now hopefully we've chosen appliance that allows us to, to retrieve back. Unfortunately, not all appliances do that. I know that the Prosomnus Evo IA Select, you can ask for negative trays, but if you've made a herbst, your start position is your bite position and you really can't retrieve that, unfortunately. So again, identifying all of these factors in your records um, appointment with your comprehensive examination will really help to minimize making a new appliance from scratch. Um, and, you know, again, if you've titrated an appliance and there's discomfort, you might have just titrated a bit too much, bring it back. Also, just check that you, when you titrated that appliance, if it's something like a herbs, you adjusted it equally on both sides because, and ask me how I know I've done this and that happens um, to the best of us is what I say. <laughs> you can take an appliance and you know that you're gonna titrate it and you're gonna do five turns on one side and five turns on the other. And then you're doing the turns and the patient starts talking to you and you start talking to the patient and you forget to change over and you do the five turns again on the same side. And suddenly you've created this talk and the patient gets uncomfortable. So when a patient comes back, after wearing an appliance and you've titrated it and they're uncomfortable, just double check either side that they're equal, okay? So, you know, and the other part is that the midline, remember I told you if they have um, some pain, it could be because the midlines are not, you know, um, lining up. What can you do? If it's a heavy contact, adjust your molar pads, uh, walk the patient back if it's possible, very slow advancements and patient exercises for sure. And this is what I mean by um, the midline. So this is one of my patients and, you know, when he's in MIP and edge to edge, you can see that there's a midline shift. And so when I captured his bite in this picture, you can see that I, the midlines became equal and he came back uncomfortable. So I actually retook the bite and had to reset the appliance. So myofascial pain and headaches are, you know, they um, myofascial pain can present as headaches. And again, the cause of myofascial pain, sore muscles, um, you'll have a dull ache, 
you know, that's why that muscle exam is super important. Stretching exercises, moist heat, and says muscle re relaxants. But the best thing to do is just get them started from day one. And I like to tell patients like, hey, you know, your muscles, they're probably not going to be ready to accept this appliance unless you do these. It's very similar to um, if I went to walk for three months, if I walked five miles every day for three months, right? I'm going to be fit, healthy. My legs are strong. And the minute I stop walking and I change that exercise to lunges, I'm going to be sore because I'm using a different set of muscles. And that's the same thing that's happening with your jaw muscles. So if you start to exercise now, it's going to make it so much easier and much more pleasant for you to be able to start wearing your appliance and feeling great from the get-go. And if you go on to the AADSM website, they have great videos for exercises. I would, um, they're also on YouTube. And what we did is we just downloaded them in every room on our computers, went through the exercises with the patients. And again, this is not me doing it. This is my sleep queen. She would make sure she would go through the exercises with the patients so they knew what they were doing. And then she would just forward them the, the link of exercises to their phone so that the patient had it and were, was, were able to do it. So hopefully this gave you a little, little bit of confidence and comfort um, in knowing that if you have someone with TMD, you actually should go ahead with your sleep protocol if you've covered all your bases with your examination and your diagnosis. And hopefully I gave you some red flags to be aware of and to be able to um, you know, uh, feel confident going forward. Incredible. Oh, here's, I forgot that this played. <laughs> there you go. So I'm gonna, you can watch this at your own time, guys. I would really advise you to have your team watch it and whoever's presenting the, um, you know, doing the delivery of sleep coordinator, sleep champion, sleep queen, sleep navigator, what you, whatever you wanna call them, your sleep person, make sure that they're really familiar with those exercises. Cool. All right. So Mona, um, yes. we have 25 questions. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to like, holy cow, there's a lot of questions. Um, first one, can you mm -hmm. restate what you early, what you said earlier about the difference between education and excuses? Yes. Um, this is one of my anchors for me to always remember. And I hope this helps you guys. But when you inform the patient ahead of time, right? It's education, it's knowledge, you're informing the patient ahead of time, and when it happens, you're a genius. But when you inform a patient about something after the fact, after you've inserted an appliance or done something, it's just an excuse. And it just, you just lose your uh, credibility. So I'm really about identifying red flags. I sound like a broken record, but I like to identify issues. And I actually like to put the accountability, accountability on the patients and let them know, document it. But when it happens, just like I said, it might, I'm like, awesome. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So important. Thank you. Um, 
Okay, so uh, Abby asked, uh, is the doctor dentist, uh, the one who's responsible for the clinical evaluation, just confirming or in a calibrated workflow, what part are you as the doctor doing versus the sleep champion is doing? Yeah. So what I like to do is when you've got your sleep champion trained up and really like on par and with comfort, all of the things that we do, such as a basic TMD muscles, our range of motions, all of those things, that's information gathering, that's data gathering. If you have an amazing rockstar team member, you train them to do that, they can information gather. But their responsibility is to impart all that information to you when you come into the room. And you need to be responsible to putting on your listening ears and not have your head back in the restorative procedure that you left or the hygiene check, but you have to know what you're listening for and what your what is your aligned action to your sleep team member to go over with your patient? Awesome. Uh, you talked about posterior. Actually, hold on. We are at the six o'clock mark. If you all just came for the CE, your survey is going to be in the chat, or it's going to be in your email exactly one hour after we end this webinar. But if you came for the content and the learning. We're going to stick around and answer a whole bunch more questions. So it's in the chat there. Uh, if you want CEs, if you want to schedule a call with a coach or go to the discounted course, it's all right there because somebody awesome put it in there. Thank you guys, team on the back end. Okay, posterior open bite. Hmm. We talked a bunch about that. We, you talked a bunch about that. <laughs> what causes the, what's the actual cause of the posterior open bite? Is it due to changes at the joint position or extrusion of the anterior teeth and pair it with another couple of questions. How do you treat it? What do you do and when? Right. So um, changes in the posterior, you know, occlusion, that sudden change could be changes in joint position, you know, inflammation goes away and suddenly you've got an open bite diagnosis, knowing what the cause is before you start stepping in and treating it. In, you know, super eruption of anterior teeth, possibly, but not with sleep appliance therapy, because remember, those appliances are so rigid and they act like splints, right? They're not going to allow tooth movement mm -hmm. and extrusion. Um, could it be posterior open bites can happen if the patients are not wearing their morning aligner? And so the lower jaw likes to be in that position and you get some remodeling of the jaw joints. Yeah, that could be. How do you treat it? It depends if it's being picked up early. Is there a way to reverse it? Is it a long-term, you know, posterior change? Like I had a patient who had a, a mad made by someone seven years ago, and then she came to my office and she was class three, like, class three, but her front teeth were all like had chipping and wear and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't make her teeth move, you know, in that way. So it really depends on, on the treatment of a posterior open bite could be nothing, but then it could be based on how long it's been like that. Got and it. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, how, and I guess last one on posterior open bite, I forgot to roll this one in. 
how likely is it that a unilateral posterior open bite, how likely is a unilateral posterior open bite if you recapture the disc on one side? And that's a good question. I have not come across that and I don't have any data to, to give you a, a solid answer to that. But if Michael, we could get the name and you know, I'll do some research and get, get in on that. Okay, cool. Um, well, it's like you said, we're, we got 45 minutes to an hour tonight, which is uh, gonna be over an hour. Um, we'll keep plugging though. Mm -hmm. um, somebody asked, uh, they've had a patient in an MAD for seven months, regular dentist is telling the patient that she has a new deep perio pocket on number 31 and is blaming the MAD. Is this possible? And have you ever heard of an MAD causing perio issues? I haven't heard of um, a MAD causing a localized perio issue. So, you know, again, it has to go back to what did that bone and perio pocketing look like on that particular tooth before the appliance was put in and comparing your radiographic images and your perio charting um, from that time to now. And then checking, do you know, when you put your appliance in, did you have to do any relieving? Did you change something on the anchorage? So there's a lot of factors in that. Um, but I would just start with what, you know, what was the original presentation compared to the presentation now and, and, and see and go from there. Got it. Cool. Um, next one, uh, how do you build in the mandible deflection on an oral appliance or it depends on the type of the oral appliance? I don't understand that, but are they talking about the midline and the def deflecting and aligning it up or are they talking about a discluder? Um, my, that we've got a couple other uh, questions about discluders. I think it's the midline shift. The midline. midline shift. You yeah. don't you don't build in a deflection uh, or sorry uh, a midline shift into your appliance. Um, and you know, real quick, what you want to do is not create a torque on the patient's joint and muscles. So if a patient, like for me, when I go forward, I actually go my midline shifts to that way. So when I'm going to take a bite record on myself, I want to mimic that. Right. I don't want to create, I don't want to bring my lower jaw midline to center with my upper to make it look perfect because it's going to create a torque. Yeah. Got it. Um, and I, I don't, I, I hate to be obnoxious or cheeky, but here's the thing. If you take my clinical course, you'll get much more information on that compared to this one hour. <laughs> For sure. So, yes. Um, okay. So uh, somebody asked uh, how fast do you titrate the protrusion weekly or it depends. I, I'd say short answer. Yes, that's in the clinical course. Can you give us a short snippet for that? Though? Sure. I mean, my, I always start with a, um, guys, I always start with a 24 hour for, uh, phone call to see how the patient did on their first night. Okay. And then I will do a two week in office follow-up. And then depending on what the patient is doing, feeling, what they're um, quantitatively feeling with their pain points and all of those things will determine when I actually go ahead and do my titration and all of those things. Cool. Thank you. Um, if you want the detailed stuff, you know where to go. 
how do you determine exercises that you recommend and resources you refer to? You already pointed people to the AADSM site for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I do have, I mean, I've collected a few exercises for myself to give patients like a lateral stretch and a uh, massive to stretch. Um, we, uh, you know, any YouTube videos and do a, you know, type in a lateral pterygoid release, um, massage release, you'll find those. And like I said, you can have them, you know, you can type them out, or I find that people are so visual. Mostly we are all visual in our learning. You'll have some auditory people, some kinesthetic people, um, but usually it's visual. So if you have videos from YouTube, send them to your patient through Revenue Well or Yappy or whatever, but they'll have them on their phone. But the most important thing is to make sure that your sleep queen um, actually sits with the patient and shows them how to do it. Yep. Yeah, don't, don't, don't send them to YouTube without telling them how to spell pterygoid. Um, yeah, they, well, <laughs> send them the actual link of it. Um, and then as for myofunctional therapy, there are some great myofunctional therapists who actually have their own offices. I would look for them in your local area and start building up a referral base. They are amazing, amazing at helping, again, strengthen the positioning of the tongue. Strengthening the tongue makes such a difference in outcome for sleep. Because if you have a stronger tongue and it's, it's basically going to help stop that collapse, they're connected. So yeah, local networking with your myofunctional therapist. Cool. Anything, um, another question on the exercises, is there anything different you would do for TMD patients versus your MAD patients? You know, I, it really depends on the diagnosis. Um, if there's muscle pain, it's going to be a lot of muscle work, muscle release. Release for TMD patients, it depends if they're in pain. I'm not going to have them do so much. Um, you know, it's got to. I've got to get them out of pain. I've got to be very palliative. Yeah. Got it. Um, have you had good results with your spray and stretch techniques? Absolutely. They're great for relief and they're great for um, diagnostic capabilities too. Cool. Um, okay. So anterior deprogrammer, NTI, morning repositioners, how do you handle this? When do you add an anterior um, deprogrammer? The, yeah. So you know, yeah, usually discluding elements I'll want to do in those clenchers, um, you know, headaches. Uh, but one of the pitfalls that I will tell you to do, um, this is another red flag warning. 20% of the population do not benefit from any um, discluding elements. So this is a quick way to quick, 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 quick check. So have your patients bite down on their back teeth clench their muscles, activate the masseters and see how much force they're putting in Then slide to the front teeth together and see how much muscle activity reduces. They've got a reduction and you've got a clench, you've got headaches. Maybe that's where I would put a discluding element in, but if there's no difference or it gets worse, stay away from the discluding element. Okay, for real, how many of you that are still on here actually did that when, like I did? When she said, okay, bite down and then move it forward and bite. 
Did you notice a difference? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. There's two of us. All right. So, okay, for real, a ton of people did this. All right. It's not just me. Uh, funny question. Who would win in a wrestling match between me or the Ultimate Warrior? That's a dumb question, Jason. Me, because he's like 82 if he's still <laughs> alive, right? Just Wait, kidding. that reminds me of my joke. Oh, no. Oh, no. What did Mike Tyson... Well, Mike Tyson and Chris Helmsworth, imagine that they're working out in a gym and they're sparring with each other. And Mike Tyson's really making Chris work for his money, right? And they finished and they said goodbye. What were, Mark, what were Mike Tyson's parting words? I have no idea. You'll be poor tomorrow. For, the, for those people that died just like me right now, um, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I'm going to try to call in reinforcements in the chat and it's not working. Oh my gosh. I hope I got a lot of laughs there because I think that was hilarious. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> difference between the phonetic bite and the George Gage bite. Oh, such a big difference. So phonetic bite is more of a neuromuscular bite. When you take a phonetic bite, it is really to get your patient in the most comfortable place. Um, it is to do with watching the patient count through the 60s through to the 70s. And there's a, um, it's actually uh, Apex, Dental, uh, Apex Dental Lab in Burbank make these little phonetic jigs. And you can then pop it in there and take a bite registration. But if you came to the clinical course, I would teach you. <laughs> Not reading Tony's joke. Do not read the chat. Wait. It's getting late. Uh, I know CPAP actually causes bite changes. Uh, can CPAP cause TMD in any way? It can. Um, it can. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, the CPAP face, long-term CPAP wearers. So again, that's why I always say, you know, mystery in the history. Well, I don't say it. Jamison Spencer did, you know, and I just yeah. am impersonating him. Um, so uh, basically, history questions, CPAP. I actually do believe a lot of CPAP wearers should be wearing some kind of appliance. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So um, what's the t the code for a TMJ exam? Do you send it to medical or dental? Uh, you, I'll answer it, the medical side. Yeah, you do the medical. Medical, there is a whole variety of ENM evaluation management codes. It's going to depend on what you're measuring. Did you take vitals? All of the stuff. Did you meet the criteria? How long and what systems are measured? That's not an easy answer for tonight. I'll let you answer the dental side. Do you bill it to dental? And is there a single code that you normally use for your exam? I do a dummy non-insurance code with a private fee. Cool. Uh, mechanism uh, for the negative effect of PPIs on OSA. Great question. I don't think I have enough information on that. Okay. Cool. Um, how does BDO play into this? I'm not In, sure what this is because that was asked. Yeah. A ago. Yeah. VD, yeah. Video. The vertical dimension. I mean, it really depends. Like I said, you you know, again, with TMD, if you have an active TMD patient who's in pain. Um, you're not going to open the video immediately because that's not going to be comfortable for them. That's where 
your diagnosis, making the appliance with maybe a neuromuscular phonetic bite to get them comfortable, get them out of pain, and then evaluating where they're, where they're at and if they need a vertical for their MAD. Yeah. Got it. Uh, John asks, what are the reasons you'd avoid an anterior discluding element? Actually, to be honest, I don't do them that often. They're not one of my go-tos. And what I found is where I've added them on patients, um, funnily enough, uh, 50% I've removed. Got it. Uh, do class three folks, Paul asks, do class three folks need any mandibular adjustment before doing the bite because they don't go forward very much? I, it really depends on what the patient's whole goal is, right? So if you are, if you're only addressing sleep, you're not going to do a mandibular adjustment for a sleep appliance. But if you are talking about the, to the patient about the way they function, they look, and it's a bigger picture and you want to do something different before, yes, absolutely. Cool. Uh, Tony said that um, he thought you offered a comprehensive airway package, but you also submit to insurance. Um, can I answer that one succinctly? Mm -hmm. She started with insurance, Tony, and then went to private pay. So the airway package that Dr. Patel goes through in detail in the course, um, that's actually for fee for service or bill as a courtesy after the fact. Whereas if you're billing insurance with all of the codes, it's gonna be important to track the actual insurance codes that you're submitting versus dummy insurance codes to just track it in your dental management software. Um, okay, so we got mystery in the history. Can you restate the four reasons that people brucks? Sleep disorders, stress, medications, SSRIs, and the stability or instability in joint muscle. Awesome. Cool. Um, do you see restorative patients during the same time as you see your sleep patients? When I first started out, it was really difficult to go from dentistry to sleep. And so what we, you know, cause you're learning and you don't have a flow. Everything's just starting out. So what we did as a team is we just booked off one little afternoon for sleep. And then it became a day and then it became two days. And then COVID, when COVID came, um, my uh, restorative assistant didn't come back. Um, she retired from dentistry. And so what happened was then my sleep queen became my restorative in sleep. So we had no choice but to meld it all together. But by that time, we had such a great um, flow that I would then I was able to see restorative patients and she would do my follow ups and sleep and, and data gathering. And then I would work with one of the front desk or ISAVAC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, you said it makes sense and it's difficult to know how long sleep appointments take. Um, thank you for the feedback. Uh, I would say that that probably opens up the whole conversation about workflow yeah. and having really predefined roles of who does what, how long appointments should take, and really dialing that in. Um, yeah. Again, if that's something that you guys want to learn more about, we do talk about that workflow and appointment times very heavily uh, in the weekend course that there's a special for. If you're, if you're talking about the clinical exam and delivery appointments, those are the clinical course. Um, but yeah, that 
standard and then meld it to what you actually do in the practice based on those roles. Yeah. And I, I will tell you the goal, like, did I want to do every single thing with sleep at the beginning? Yes. And then I realized that that's not going to be productive for my practice. But uh, when I actually sat down and went through my process um, out of maybe the seven appointments from start to finish consult for the, the sleep, you know, test, the records appointment, all of those things, the delivery follow-ups, I ended up, um, once we had our thing down, maybe about 45 minutes with my patient the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got to be team driven and you got to have a really well, you know, well implemented process for your team to take over. Well, we are getting some good night, goodbye waves from people in chat because we are at almost nine. We're pushing 920 is your time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, thank you all for a great night, Dr. Mona Patel. Thank you, everyone. Um, You're awesome, you know, as usual. Thank you for spending yep. time with us. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakenasleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken2sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.